Hey guys, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. Today we're continuing our iconic albums series and we're checking out Deep Purple's Stormbringer. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Maskus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Iconic Albums on the Guitar Speak podcast. This is the show where I'm joined by Rob Rhodes. Hey Matt. And Gabor Jessica. Hey Matt. <laughs> and we talk about classic guitar records, or at least the ones we think are worthy of that title. It's been a great time on the series so far. We've covered albums by Joe Satriani, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Derek and the Dominoes, aka Eric Clapton and Friends. And uh, we get to our fourth, this is our fourth, no, this is our fifth installment. And Rob has brought to us an album for today's episode. It's Deep Purple's Stormbringer from 1974. Kick us off, Rob. Oh, Deep Purple Stormbringer. I'm going to, Deep Purple fans are going to be upset with me everywhere because <laughs> this is notoriously uh, the least popular of, um, well, at least Mark Two II and Three. Um, so, released on the 10th of December 1974, it was, re- it was recorded during August and September of 74 at Musicland Studios in Germany, and then there were second sessions moved to the record plant in LA. It clocks in at a massive 36 minutes and 31 <laughs> seconds, so, wow. so it's, it's, it's over pretty quickly. Um, it was Deep Purple's <laughs> ninth studio album. And as I said, the second with Mark III. Mark III included David Coverdale as the lead vocalist and Glenn Hughes on bass and also vocalist. Uh, that's why you yeah, can hear those yeah. twin vocals on there. Um, hmm. It is the record responsible for, you know, Richie leaving <laughs> Deep Purple um, after being quoted many times of saying, yeah, it's too funky. Too bluesy and too funky. I am out of here. I want to sing songs about dragons 
and, <laughs> and elves and witches. Who wouldn't? I want to sing about cars and girls. And um, yeah, so that's um, obviously the title track is the biggest song off the album, which Coverdale still plays live uh, with Whitesnake. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's like a little quick wrap up of the album. I, I like that you've chosen this album because I think it's a killer record, um, but it is controversial for for some people, mainly, you know, Richie Blackmore. <laughs> Absolutely. He still plays Soldier of Fortune live though, so, you know, and he had to fight to get that one on the record because uh, the other uh-huh. guys didn't like it and he didn't like anything else. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he showed such disdain in the studio apparently that uh, he agreed to play solos on certain songs one take, talked all the way while he was playing, um, <laughs> even to the point where Glenn Hughes asked him to play slide. I think it was on Holy Man. And even though there was a slide sitting right there, he picked up a screwdriver and played the <laughs> solo with a screwdriver, one wow. take and then left. And he never listened back to anything. <laughs> Far out. He still sounds great on I this know, record. It's, uh, I just go, it's not... It's not what you expect from Blackmore, and you'd almost think that he wasn't present at all. They just got someone else to do it. But um, no, he's got the funky chops. Like he, mm. there's still those solos in, you know, the blistering songs, um, Highball Shooter, and those songs. But yeah, he just he is a different guy in on this album, and I really love it. It's um, it is fun hearing him play. Chicky Chucka sixteenth notes on uh, "You Can't Do It Right." It it reminded me of like Sly and a Family Stone, like that sort of stuff. That's sort of what <laughs> some of the tracks reminded me of. Like What's I have the to, era. I gotta say, I gotta say, um, I've never heard that album before. Um, so that was my very first listen, and it was completely not what I expected. I love it, uh-huh. and I really dug it. I thought it was it's a great album. Um, and I love, and I, I'm not a big Deep Purple listener, but but is there a lot of synth usually in Deep Purple, or is it is that a rare thing for this, for that album? This is kind of the introduction of that. John Lord started because 1974, you know, he started experimenting with the synths then, and um, yeah, definitely that was because there's some great synth sounds on there. I thought you would uh, like that actually. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, whenever I think of Deep Purple, I always think of the organ, you know, going through the Marshall stack. Yeah. Um, um, and that sort of, you know, that very kind of 60s kind of sounding band. But yeah, I was I was super surprised. Funky, I, I wrote down funky Blackmore with phaser and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I'd never heard him play slide before. Was no. the slide on the earlier no. records? Right? There's hardly, I was trying to find that out during my research. It was like, what, was this... Just Blackmore because he didn't want to do it. He went, I'm going to play Slide. And <laughs> because it's not on any of the earlier records. And I, I like, right. I love In Rock and I love Machine Head uh, mm. and, and parts of Burn, but Made in Japan and all those records I'm really into. But I'd never, this one was really the, again, that first Deep Purple album that I felt was mine. Like mm-hmm. I discovered, even though it was the cassette in my dad's Falcon Newt. <laughs> Um, it just felt like this was my Deep Purple record because my dad had spent so many years playing the earlier records that it didn't feel like mine. This one sort of felt like, oh, 
I've discovered this one, you know, even, <laughs> even though it came out yeah, two years cool. before I was born, I discovered it, man. <laughs> this is mine. But um, yeah, slide. And again, he just showed so, so much dislike for what was going on that he just played slide with a screwdriver and, because that, that's actually one of the things I wrote down. Uh, the solo, and uh, or there's kind of like two solo. It's sort of one solo divided into two in Stormbringer, which it's fir- at first it's a slide solo. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. almost, at the first time I heard it, I went, is that is that the synth or is that a... Because it's... A, and, and, and maybe because he used a screwdriver. It's sort of an unorthodox slide sound as well. Mm. And then it goes into the normal, like, finger fingered solo. And yeah, great solo, both of them. And I, it was clear. Yeah, it was odd. I never thought... It didn't sound like what I thought of Richie Blackmore. No, it's definitely a change in pace. Well, yeah. So we've sort of touched on that, but what, Matt? What were some of your favourite songs? Man, oh, I, I've got notes on just about everything. I, I, <laughs> I dug the whole record. It was cool. like instep. I mean, you know, it's hard. It's so hard. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, I love "Hold On." Uh, that dirty roads. Keys Very Steely Dan. That's what I like. I, it almost has a Steely Dan vibe to and the gospel, it. Which, wow. The gospel vocals, like yeah. the harmonies. Great vocals, like and such great variety of tone in his voice too. Like it almost sounds like it's more than one person singing, but well, it is, within yeah. one song, you can hear him go from one voice to a different voice. Well, and they in, great. they interchange Gabor. So you'll have like um, Glenn Hughes will sing a verse. And then Coverdale hits the pre-chorus, and so they're all, they're interchangeable all the way through a lot of those songs. Oh, so Glenn, oh, so it's not okay. Okay, yeah, so okay. it is the two vocalists chopping and changing okay. all the time. Because I thought it was really great. The variety of vocal, the vocal tones mm. um, were great. Yeah, they blend so great. Those two guys. Yeah, yeah. And they're both awesome, man. I've I've heard more Coverdale than Hughes, I think. So. But Hughes, Hughes is ripping. He's doing all the the up high stuff, and oh, and he could still sing like that. Like he's still in the same register. Coverdale, wow. they tune down to D now in White Snake, so he doesn't yeah, can't yeah. sing quite as high. But um, Glenn Hughes in Black Country Communion, um, and the oh, the California Breed, the band he did with Jason Bonham out of. Black Country Communion. He's still singing up oh, there. Yeah, He's still well, ripping the vocals in both of those bands. Yeah. Man, unbelievable, man. So good. So, I, I mean, the vocals knocked me out on, on the whole whole record. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, back to the Whitesnake thing. Yeah, they're tuning down. And um, the bass player, I, I can't forget his name. I'm sorry. But he he's doing a lot of the really high vocal stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Coverdale still sounds great. I saw them. About uh, March 2020, just before all the lockdowns happened, and um, they were fantastic. But um, yeah, he's just he's just he's dropped a little. But man, it's still pretty amazing. Um, but back to the tunes, tunes I was into. Yeah, hold on, I did write down the notes, and I don't know if I'm projecting what I know of Blackmore, but I did write down: Does he even like playing <laughs> over major keys? <laughs> but he sounds cool. Yeah, it's what song is it? Um, there's another story. I think it's um, maybe it's um, "Love Don't Mean a Thing." I oh, know it's Holy Man. I think he plays just with his. They said, "Oh, can you do a solo?" And he went, "Yeah, but only if I can play it with my thumb." So he plays <laughs> the whole solo like this country style thing, picking every note with wow. his thumb, and right. you can hear like the, the the whacking of his thumb, like the string hitting the pickup. It's really disappointing because 
Um, it's one of those things that when you hear that about an artist, it can kind of turn you off entirely. But, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. because of what he contributed to the actual album playing-wise, you forgive him. You go, if this is what the guy does when he's asleep at the wheel, like it's phenomenal. Yeah, right. Like when he's not yeah. even trying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. It does change how you you hear stuff too. Because I didn't know. I knew he left the band, obviously. Uh, I didn't know he was up to all that kind of stuff in the studio. So that's that's kind of interesting. In um, the Gypsy, which which Coverdale still does as well, um, that's a great tune. There's a harmony slide solo. So there's obviously yeah some effort there to to get it right and maybe you like that song. Yeah, that just that outro doesn't get boring, even though it's kind yeah. of. It's cycles and cycles. There's just something different every cycle. There's something to hear different. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But I had Love Lady Double Dealer as probably the most classic Deep Purple uh, yeah. tune yeah. for me on the record. Had yeah. that classic Richie Blackmore whammy bar stuff. That was pretty cool. Well, yeah, I had written down Lady Double Dealer, the one song that sounds like I expected this album to sound like. <laughs> That's a really good observation. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, good boy. So Lady Double Dealer, but uh outside of that, what what songs took your fancy? So for me, my probably my three favorites on that album uh, uh were hang on where, 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 where stand out Stormbringer, the first track, just killer riff, great solos yeah, in it. Yeah. Just and and great, great song. Um the other one, uh, You Can't Do It Right. I really dug that song. And loved them in a thing because yeah, it, it they were sort of kind of almost yeah like Sly and the Family Stone esque songs. Um, oh, and hold on as well that Steely Dan kind of thing with the road solo in the middle that was great. Um, and uh, hang on, I forgot to write down the name, but the last track, the acoustic song, Soldier of Fortune. Soldier, that's a cool. That's that's a very it that kind of it when I heard it in the car for the first time, I kind of went that's sort of almost like a concept album song. Like it sounds like it should like a journey or something, you know. Should, it, but yeah, it's. A, I I was really surprised how much I actually liked that album. And so what I've got written down, yeah, so phaser on everything, funky Blackmore question mark, because um, <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of phaser on a lot of guitars, um, or you know that kind of whirly, swirling sort of sound. Um, the synth sounds were killer, and the synth solo, is it? Um, is that in You Can't Do It Right? Yeah, Is that that's the one that has synth solo? Yeah. Great. That's sort of old Moog sort of sound. That's a killer sounding solo. Um, the guitar solo in Stormbringer, um, that sort of harmonic minor-esque kind of thing, uh, which starts off with the slide and then goes to the non-slide solo. Mm. Um, Holy Man as well. The solo on that is killer. Um, yeah, and then the last thing, just Lady Double Dealer, the one song that sounds like I expected this album to sound like. So that's what I had written down. But yeah, I was really surprised how much I liked it. Because um, I, 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 not not saying that I went in with low expectations, but I just went, you know, from what I know of Deep Purple, I kind of go, oh, yeah, Deep Purple, yeah. Smoke you know. on the water. <laughs> Smoke on the water. And, you know, that sort of, to me, I always thought of it that sort of 60s psychedelic-esque rock band, you know, with cool guitar solos always the organ sound in the background but from song one it just caught me by surprise and i dug it i really dug it oh, that's great so should we get into some fun facts uh and, I, sure. and i'll touch yes, on please i'll touch on some of my favorites through this but um 
So at the beginning of Stormbringer, David Coverdale speaks some gibberish, um, which kind of sounds spooky and devilish. Um, but according to Glenn Hughes, he was reciting the dialogue that Linda Blair speaks in The Exorcist, uh, the Exorcist <laughs> when she's questioned by the priest. So we can imagine, we'll leave that to our listeners to research. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of funny stories while I was tracking vocals. So Glenn Hughes was tr- tracking vocals on one particular track and David Bowie was in the studio because they were mates and Iggy Pop was jumping in and out. And then lo and behold, his hero walks in, he was in the studio next door, Stevie Wonder. So oh, wow. it's funny that Blackmore mentions that Glenn Hughes is, oh, he's a big Stevie Wonder fan. He wants us to be funky. And that Stevie Wonder turns up um, in the sessions because they're in the same studio at the record plant. Wow. And then David Coverdale is recording vocals on a tune and people are in the studio talking. Dave can't see the control room. So he goes, David Coverdale goes, not knowing who's in the studio, goes, shut the F up. And it was Stevie Wonder was in there. So he told Stevie <laughs> Wonder to shut the F up. It's just, a, you know, just perfect, you know, to have that. Um, favorite songs. I don't have, I can't pick a favorite. And if, if Instep was hard, this one was super hard. Um, but it's hard to go past Hold On because I love those vocals. Um, I love that. Um, just the, the blend. So, so are both of them singing in that on the track? Yeah, because that's one of the. I wrote down the the. the I I thought it was just just Coverdale singing the whole thing, and I just said it's just such a varied voice. Like. Yeah, so when you have like the say out of the chorus into the second verse, Glenn Hughes starts, okay, and then it goes into sort of that pre-chorus change with the low voice, and then that's Coverdale, oh, and then they're okay. all singing, um, and. Covered, I was doing the call and response parts, at least on that song. Okay, cool, um, cool, cool. And also, one thing I'd never noticed while I was sitting here listening to that, during Hold On, you can sing White Snakes, Give me all your love tonight. Give me oh. all. So I was like, oh, how did I never have heard that before? <laughs> you know, it was crazy. Um, that is cool. That's one to try at home. <laughs> but yeah, I love the title track too. Same as Gabor. Stormbringer's just well, it's a Stormbringer of a track, really. And great yeah. for great choice of first song for the album, I thought. And the slow burn of the Gypsy, that outro. I never get bored of listening to that outro. And when it ends, I go, it could have gone for another two minutes. I've been happy. <laughs> awesome. Hey, we might take a short break, and we'll be back with more of Stormbringer. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo, 
For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. All right, welcome back. I'm with Rob and Gabor. We're talking Stormbringer from Deep Purple, killer record. Yes. Yeah. Outside of the norm, we've we've agreed for, for Purple. But uh, this was, I think, I don't know if I'm right, Rob, but this is like about their ninth studio album by the time they get to this. It was their ninth album, yeah. That's a crazy output. And, of course, they've they've pretty much kept going in different iterations till uh till now i think they're into like mark seven or eight okay. <laughs> you know, because the guitar players like even going back satriani did a tour with them never recorded yeah. with them but satriani did a tour with them i think in the 90s Was yes it? yeah okay. um yeah and you know as tommy boland comes in after this record replaces blackmore and and then obviously steve morse who's He's got to be there 30 years now or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's been in there longer than anyone else. Um, But they've got Don Airy on keys now after we lost John Lord. Um, Ian Pace is still there. Machine. And Gillen's back, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, who's who's the bass player? Roger Glover. Glover, yeah. And he was in the band before Stormbringer, wasn't he? That's right, yeah. He, He got ditched. For Glenn Hughes, yeah. Because Glenn Hughes played bass and vocals. I think you already said yeah. that. Yeah. That Rickenbacker, yeah. man. He's the guy with the Rickenbacker bass. I don't, I can't... Obviously, Getty Lee's one. But, but they're sort of the two that come to mind as Rickenbacker players. Lemmy. Yeah. Come on, Lemmy. Lemmy, man. sorry. Oh, Lemmy. Yeah, that's yeah. out of my wheelhouse. That's why I didn't come to mind. <laughs> Paul McCartney, Wings. Oh, yeah, briefly. Briefly. Yeah. Briefly. Yeah, rocking, man. What... um. What what's Gil uh not Gilmore? What's Blackmore playing? Well, Blackmore started on three three fives actually, and um this his story is that he saw Hendrix and thought the strat was cool and wanted a strat. Yeah. Um and he came across his first strat through Eric Clapton. So all these things tie together. Now Eric Clapton gave his roadie an old strat that he didn't want. The neck was pretty bowed, apparently. And uh, Blackmore knew that that roadie had it and said, oh, will you sell it to me? So he bought it, bought Clapton's old strap for 60 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, yeah, got that, got him right into strats. But he was always a strat guy. Um, and there's a couple of funny gear stories. So he doesn't, he's never been a pedal guy. He never really liked pedals. But um, Voxwar, again, there's a common thread there through some of these records yeah. and i'll pull this up they use a treble booster so it's the hornby skews treble booster um funny story about that pedal and the amp rig which we'll get to smoke on the water the keyboard that was played through the marshals with the treble booster too because oh, wow. they just said oh you want that distorted let's try doing it with this so it carried through there um Amps-wise, there's a funny story too because he 
Blackmore was using Vox AC30s, but he really liked the look of Marshall's and he wanted Marshall. So he took the AC30 to Jim Marshall and tried to get the techs to rebuild a Marshall to sound like his Vox. <laughs> but they couldn't do it. Like they tried and tried and tried and they just couldn't do it. Wow. So they said, if you ever tell anyone, we won't admit it. But they took the guts out of the Vox AC30 and put it in the Marshall. Oh, wow. And that was his amp for a long time until wow. until the Marshall Major, um, which they modded for Blackmore and gave it an extra output stage. So it was 280 watt head. Because I mean, because I always thought hundred is just not enough. It's like you know, Spinal Tap. You, you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Two hundred eighty. Holy moly, that's a lot of power. Yeah. Um, and because the Marshall Major was two hundred, which is already 200. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Two hundred eighty. Wow. And he he regularly used two or three on stage, so wow. you can see where Ingve got the idea from, right? <laughs> And the scallop fretboard, yeah. <laughs> come back here, come back here. They're all plugged in. Check it out. No empty cups back here. No way. Beautiful. Um, wow. Man, it's such it's such a thick tone, man. It's like it is a strat, but it's so thick, and I guess there's 280 reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> and you can circle back to Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's not super distorted. It's really clean. Yeah. That's how you know that it was played really loud. Because the only yeah. way you get that sort of sustain and clean overdrive from an amp it's a ridiculous headroom. is that yeah. it's super loud and it's driving yeah. that power amp section. Wow. Uh, people will probably also um, kill me if I don't mention the scallop fret thing as well that Blackmore yeah, is yeah. famous for. Yeah. That was also passed on. Um, he said he stumbled on that around 1966. Um, he was playing a classical guitar and he'd worn it out, pitted the fretboard so much that the, it had actually scalloped the frets. So when he okay. made the switch to electrics, he kept sliding past notes all the time because back in the day, skinny frets. Um, he said he was really struggling. Um, so he just started scalloping the frets himself. Um, he's quoted as saying, um, where is it? There's... There's better ways to spend a day than standing there with sandpaper and sanding a fretboard. Um, but he said it gave him more grip and suited that style, his vibrato, a lot more. And mm. who can argue with that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great vibrato. How many people have destroyed guitars trying to do that same thing? You reckon? <laughs> Anyone ever have a scalloped neck guitar? I've played Never. a few, but um, but uh, when I worked at uh, the music shop here up at Noosa, Music at Noosa, we had a couple of the Ingwe Strats in. Um, and actually, uh, do, do any of you guys know Ben? Ben McGregor? Guitar, great guitar player no. from up here. He um, he is a massive Richie Blackmore fan, and he actually he ended up buying an Ingwe Strat because it's got the skull frets and... Um, it's weird, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I don't know. It's not my thing, but I guess I only played it, you know, a handful of times. But um, yeah, wow, weird and wonderful. Yeah, we had him. Yeah. We had him at Allen's when I worked there, and um, I, I think I played it once. I didn't really like it, and a couple of weeks later, someone just snatched it and ran out the door with it. Oh, oh wow! So yeah, it's one of those things. Whenever I see one that pops up on Reverb or Gumtree, I always go. 
wonder if that's the one. Wonder if that's <laughs> the one. <laughs> wonder if that's it. Oh man! Did you guys um, ever see the Richie Blackmore signature model Strat? Yeah, they, they kick around every now and again. It doesn't have a middle pickup like it's there, That's but it's right. not like wide up. But I've, yeah. I've never seen one in real life, no. But um, but I've yeah, I've seen them pop up every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I've seen. I just think it looks so dorky without the middle pickup. At least, at least you could do the Ingvay thing and just drop it like drop it right down. with the scratch plate. <laughs> But it's that seventies thing. I love the I love the big Fender headstock, and I love the black like plastic hardware on the white pick guard. And I don't know. I've always sort of loved those strats, the seventies ones. They're they're getting crazy money now. The seventies stuff, and they don't have a good reputation. Fenders like every neck's different. They're heavy, and then Gibson Gibson with the pancake bodies and weird and wonderful things going on at that time but mm. yes yeah, so how's the prices on those things going crazy at the moment it's insane gotta gotta get everything gotta just yeah. it's that i think i saw an 80s an 80s strat today or something for four and a half grand what? yeah it's stupid yeah. it's absolutely stupid there you go cool any more um any more stormbringer fun facts or Things we should know. Uh, I think we've, um, I think we kind of, well, everybody knows that Coverdale is from Whitesnake. And um, just the one last thing was with the formation of Whitesnake when this, when Deep Purple disbanded, um, John Lord joined Whitesnake in 78. So he was pretty much on board straight away. And then Ian Pace joined in 1980. Um, and for some stories on that, there's a guitarist, an English guitarist, um, Bernie Marsden. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Bernie. Um, yeah, yeah. But he recently released a book uh, called Where's My Guitar? And it, get the audio book. All of us guys who are in cars, we do podcasts and audio books because that's where we'll spend most of our time, especially yep, driving yep, yep. from <laughs> where I am down near, like just north of Byron Bay, Driving up to the sunny coast on a Friday can be a four and a half hour drive. Um, yep. if you don't leave early enough. So there's plenty of time for that. But check out that book, um, Where's My Guitar by Bernie Marsden. He gets into all of that early white snake. He actually wrote Full for Your Loving yeah, and cool. Here I Go Again. So um, there's obviously some some big hitters have come out of Deep Purple as far as Mark Three. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we all, uh, mentioned it before uh, with Black Country Communion, which was Derek Sherinian, uh, Glenn Hughes, Joe Bonamassa, and the great, great, great Bonham on drums, Jason. Yeah, man. And I mean, it's a lot of notes. And I mean, Ian Gillen was the original Jesus too. So I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, not the original original, but yeah. The the original recordings. I think he was the first, wasn't he? The first. Yeah. The first, not the original, original, but but the first recordings. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, not super original, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a documentary on Apple TV at the moment um, called 1971, and they okay. they get into like the movements in that year are just insane. Well, we're getting a little yeah. bit off topic now, but I'm um, still music, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they go over Jesus Christ Superstar, how it became the biggest selling album of. Which is a killer, killer soundtrack. I, 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 I mean, again, off topic. I played in a, yeah, I played guitar in that for a little while. For, a, I, you know, like a, on the Sunshine Coast here, we had um, 
like a local version of it. What great music! Yeah. It's mm. it's really really killer. Hundred percent. And the original. If you get a, if anyone gets a chance, I mean, there's the Fanzi and and whatever version is train version, but yep. uh, listen to the original like that with with Ingil and uh, what a killer soundtrack and the, the music the the band on it all the musicians on it amazing. I think it was huge in the seventies in Australia too. I, I, Probably. Uh, this is completely like without notice. I can't remember who who the singers on that were, but. That was pretty massive too, and that that was a was it John English or someone like that was my yeah I think so uh, Marsha Hines Marsha Hines was, yeah I'm pretty sure was, was in there so yeah I know later it was John Stevens was Judas and Kate Sobrano Barnsley was Jesus and what's her name um, Kate Sobrano Kate Sobrano that's right she was Mary yeah. yeah yeah cool cast as well yeah there you go we've covered it all. Deep purple. It, it <laughs> spreads a long way, man. It is deep indeed. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Gabor. Uh, Rob, where can we catch you? Um, living in the 70s, live on Facebook or um, roadtripent.com for all my other shows. Awesome. And Gabor? Uh, well, if you want to have a super fun, awesome and happy sort of kind of time. I do. Uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watching... Uh, watching uh, people uh, giggle while they fiddle with knobs and guitar pedals. Uh, check out the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show on YouTube. And there's also podcasts uh, if you really want to listen to. Uh, uh, you shouldn't really listen to another podcast, but we do do a podcast as well. That's that's how I listen to you most of the time. So oh, cool. Well, it's thank all you. good. Thank you. And awesome. send us pictures of your shopping trolleys and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the beach when I'm there listening. At the beach, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Catch you next week. All right, there you go. Deep Purple's Stormbringer. Man, I'm loving these guitar album conversations with Robin Gabor, and I hope you are too. Now, next week, things... Now, next week, things get a little left field. We check out Primus's third studio album from the early 90s, Pork Soda. That's going to be cool. Also coming up, we've got some great interviews this week. Jason Slack from The Super Jesus and a guitar builder himself uh, comes on the show, which is really cool. So look out for that one too. Best way to uh, keep in tune with the Guitar Speak podcast is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you pod, you should be able to find us there. So if you subscribe, follow, whatever it is, that's uh, a great thing to do. Okay, I'm just about out of here. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And as Michael Schenker once told me... Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.